0: Romans chapter 11, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12, we've been in 11 so long, I by the way, Madison, thank you very much, that was wonderful, Romans chapter 12, <clears throat> now we're not going to cover the entire chapter this morning, but I want us to read the entire chapter, so let's begin reading Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, I exhort you, my brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. For through the grace of God given to me, I say to each one among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound thinking, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are the one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, But having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, whether prophecy in agreement with the faith, or service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with generosity, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without hypocrisy, by abhorring what is evil, clinging to what is good, being devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in, not lagging diligence, being fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in affliction, being devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, pursuing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep in being of the same mind toward one another, not being haughty in mind, but associating with the humble. Do not be wise in your Never paying back evil for evil to anyone, respecting what is good in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, being at peace with all men, never taking your own revenge, beloved. Instead, leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. And in in so doing, you will reap, heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Having concluded, 11 chapters about which uh, Paul has shown us what God has given to us. Now, Paul, here in chapter 12, begins by telling us what we need to give to God. We have seen in the last 11 chapters the total depravity of man, that there is none good, no, not one, there's none who seeks after God, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have seen how Paul says that God has sent Christ to do what we could not live up to the law. And that we have been justified freely by his grace. That we who deserved the eternal fires of hell for eternity. God has snatched from the fire. Let me ask you something this morning. Do you recognize this morning that you... Without Christ, we're dead in your trespasses and sins with no way to get to God. You see, that's what Paul does in the first three chapters. He brings us all to a place to where we are completely flat footed and, ha- and all we can do is look up and say, oh, God, help me. And Paul says that it was in that condition that God took the initiative. God sent his only son to die for us. God Chose us out of this world before the foundation of the world. And Paul says, therefore, I exhort you by the mercies of God. In other words, everything Paul has said up to this point. Pointing out our sin, pointing out what God has done, pointing out what the benefits in chapter 8 and chapter 9 of, of being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's therefore of chapter 12 points back to everything that Paul has said in, in chapters 1 through 11. Do you agree this morning that God has shown you Mercy. Do you agree this morning that the only reason that you will ever stand in the presence of a holy God is because he took the initiative to do what was necessary to make sure that you could. And so Paul says, therefore, because of this, because of this, the mercies of God, which includes the provision of salvation in Christ and the communication of life to us through Christ, Paul says, here's what God has done. So how can you do anything else but give yourself totally to him? You know, one of the, um, one of the buzzwords in the, in the Christian community is the word commitment. It's not a good word, by the way. Let me tell you what's a good word. Surrender. You see, commitment... Puts it on me. Commitment says I'm going to commit myself to live for God. But you know what? I can't. But surrender is when I just say, God, here I am. Lord, I can't do anything. Without you, I'm lost. Without you, I have nothing. Without you, I can do nothing. That's what Jesus told his disciples. He says, without me, you can do nothing. You know, John the Baptist said one of the most profound in the Gospels. And and, and you're, it's something you all ought to learn to say. They come to John and said, John, you remember that guy you pointed out to us and called the Lamb of God? It's the way of the sin of the world. And John said, yeah, and John. He, they said, well, John, you know, he's making more than you are. In other words, John's disciples were saying, John, Jesus. Is doing better than yours is. Is that me? No, I guess so. So they come to John and and they say, John, Jesus, his ministry is doing better than yours. You know what John said? Listen, every one of you needs to memorize these words. John said he must increase and I must decrease. When you get saved, when you come to know Jesus Christ, that is the thing. You begin to increase and he begins to increase in your life. There is no such thing for a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ as having a church life and a secular life. That doesn't exist. Every part of our life is a holy life when we come to know Christ. And so Paul is saying it it is by these mercies that God implores us to live for him. Uh, In in verses 1 and 2, and that's the only two verses we're going to cover this morning, by the way. Uh, In verses 1 and 2, you know, let's read those again. Paul says, therefore, I exhort you, my brothers. I exhort. Paul says, I implore you. Listen to what I'm saying. You, this is so very important, he says, by the mercies of God or because of the mercy God has shown to you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. In these two verses, we are called to offer ourselves to God in total surrender and total dedication. For the believer, all of life is to be lived in an act of worship to God. We are saved. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scripture alone, for what reason? To the glory of God alone. The last one makes all the rest necessary. Everything you and I do, we said this before, we must never get to where we believe that our salvation is about us because it's not. Our salvation is about God bringing glory to himself. It's about showing forth the glory of God. And so Paul here, he says that all of our life is to be lived to the glory of God. If a believer is living selfishly and independently, and and you know, the reason I read the whole chapter is because we have to understand what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about, you know what, because of what God has done, you are the church. We are a body. I need you. You need me. We need one another. And when we step outside and think, well, I can worship God on my own. The Bible says, no, you can't. When people tell me, you know what? I can stay home and get church just as much as I can going into a building. All that tells me is they've never read this Bible. Because Paul says that we need one another. And for a believer to live selfishly and independently of the body of Christ... They're not obeying verses 3 through 16 that we read. And that's a problem of the heart. It's a problem of a lack of surrender to God in worship. Do you agree this morning that you and I owe God everything? Everything. There's not a part of my life that I can say, Okay, God, I'm going to give you everything except this right here. And I want to tell you something. If you go to God and you say, I'm going to give you everything except this right here. You know what he says? He says, you know what? Just keep it all. If you're not going to give me it all, I don't want any of it. Jesus demands and he deserves that we give him everything. Paul says that we are to give our body to God. Uh, This verse echoes what Paul said back in chapter six. I want to read that in chapter six, verse 13. Paul said and do not go on presenting your members to, uh, do not go on presenting your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead as your members as instruments of righteousness in verse 19 of chapter 6 he says i'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness leading to further lawlessness, and so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Is sanctification important? You know, the Bible says that without sanctification, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And so Paul here is echoing what he's already said. Paul is saying, give your whole self to God. And, and he says there in chapter six, where that he says, just as at one point I devoted my life to a life of sin, I gave the members of my body over to sin. He says, now you're no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave to Christ. So now present your body as a living sacrifice to him. Now, here's the thing about a living sacrifice <clears throat> A living sacrifice keeps crawling off the altar. Now, some of you are shaking your head. I'm glad because I do it too. And Paul says, if you truly love God, he says, look at this. I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God. Listen, if you're holy, I can promise you you're pleasing to God. Because that's what he demands of us. And so Paul says, I exhort you. This is an authoritative and urgent call to give ourselves to God wholeheartedly. Again, the basis for this is what God has done. Both for and through us. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Now somebody looks at this and says, well, you know. And and I'm going to say this, okay. And you you can send me cards and letters later. If you stand here today and you tell me, look, I am going to give God my whole life, except I'm going to tell you, all that tells me is you need to be saved. You show me a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ that doesn't believe that God deserves everything they have. And I'll show you someone that's not a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, because Jesus said he who has been forgiven much loves much. And folks, let me tell you, we have been forgiven much. You and I were guilty of, tre- uh, of treason against the king of the universe. He handed down our sentence, which was death. And then he himself took upon Him our, our sentence and he died in our place. Now you tell me. How can we look at God in the face and say, "God, I love you. God, I want to give everything. I can't wait to get to heaven. God, thank you for saving me from hell." Holler at me when you're ready to go. Meanwhile, I'm gonna go live my life. You know what's part of wrong with that statement right there? Part of it is this: is because we have been taught a, fi- a lie. Jesus did not come to save you from hell. He came to save us from sin. And there's a difference because when I know he's come to save me from sin, that sin's power has no, no hold on me whatsoever anymore. And Paul says that we uh, do. He says there's no way you can surrender your spirits without also uh, surrendering your bodies. We who are alive to Christ are now called to be living sacrifices. And you think about this, folks, in this world that we live in of all the people on this planet right here. Only those, okay, now you can go to the most crowded area on earth you want to go where there are people just everywhere. And I want to tell you, the only people on this planet that are truly alive are believers in Christ. The rest of them are the walking dead. They're dead in their trespasses since they may be alive physically, but they're dead spiritually. So you and I, and, and here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, Christ has made you alive. Now live like you're alive. Be that living sacrifice for him every day. You know, Paul says uh, in another book, he says, I die daily. I die daily. Every day I have to die to Bobby Baker. Every day I have to die to my sin. And remember that I'm alive to Christ and I'm alive in Christ. So we are to wholeheartedly be wholeheartedly consecrated worshipers being committed to God in every single realm of life. Go back to chapter 11. You remember how that ended? Look at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him that he might be repaid to him. Verse 36 for from him and through him and to him are all things to him. Be glory forever. Amen. And then Paul goes right into chat. Now, remember when Paul wrote Romans, he didn't write it. Okay, here's chapter 11 and here's chapter 12. It didn't have all that. Paul just wrote a letter. So there's, there shouldn't be that division. We go right from chapter from verse 36 into verse one. Paul says to him, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, because of the mercy God has shown you present yourselves as living sacrifice. You see how that all flows together. You see, when you look at it that way, uh, the Bible m- helps us understand a lot better when we read it in that way. It said that we are to be wholeheartedly consecrated worshipers to him. The de- this death to self is considered to be holy and pleasing to God. Listen, as a pastor of this church, i call a meeting and say, okay, look, folks, we got a- we're still relatively new in the year. What do you want to see this church be this year? And then you can tell me. Where do you want to see us as a church go in the next year? And then you can tell me, but I want to tell you something. It's completely irrelevant. God doesn't care where I want this church to go. God doesn't care what I want this church to be. All God says is, are you concerned with what I want this church to be and where I want it to go? See, that's where we mix up. But we we always want to make it about us. And God says it's not about you. And we can look and we can tell you folks that this is not my church. It's not your church. It's God's church. And God has a right to do with his church what he wills. But here's the thing. This right here, this body, the the whole heart of me belongs to Christ. He bought and paid for me with blood. And so he has every right to look at me and say... You're mine. You know, Paul said this in another place. He says, don't you know you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. He says, so therefore glorify God in your body. You know, we, we, we often think that this body is, is irrelevant. But Paul says here, therefore I exhort you, br- brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your souls to God. Is that what he says? To present your spirit to God. Is that what he says? No, he says to present your body to God. That it is his. And, and, and again, it's the basis on the mercies of God. The death of self is considered to be a holy and pleasing act to God. Any service short of an entire surrender of the body and soul to God is irrational and absurd. I'll tell you, you go back to the Old Testament when they had the temple and the tabernacle. And the worshipers would go in there, especially the priests. And you know, the Bible says that you and I are now a kingdom of priests. But the priests in that day, they would go in to the tabernacle and the temple to offer worship to God. And I want to tell you something, folks. They better do it the way God said, do it. Aaron had two sons who decided they wanted to do it their own way. And God killed them on the spot. And then told Aaron, he said, I better not even see you grieve for them. Because they have dishonored me. And so we look at that and we think, okay, you and I are the temple of God. And so when I worship God, my worship must be real. It must be what God has prescribed. You see, I'm not at liberty to worship God any way I please I heard a preacher say that one time. He said, come to our church. You worship God ever how you please. We don't care. I want to tell you, that's dangerous. As the sons of Aaron will tell you. God has prescribed how we are to worship Him. And He has described that we are to be holy before Him. We are to be consecrated before Him. And so Paul here, he's calling on us. You see, Paul has given us the doctrine and he's expounded on that doctrine. And now he's got to chapter 12 where he's given us the application of that doctrine. Paul says, everything I have said before, now go live it. Do you believe... That you were once dead in your trespasses and sins? Do you believe that God in his mercy has saved you by his grace alone? Do you believe that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus? Paul says, you believe that? Now go act like it. Go live like it. Let me tell you the best part of that. We can't. We can't live like that. But you know why he said he says present your bodies a living sacrifice. Do you know what the sacrifice was offered to or who the sacrifice was offered to? It wasn't offered to the people. It wasn't offered to the priests. It was offered to God. You know what God did. In fact, he took the sacrifice and made it what it was supposed to be. And you and I, that's why Paul has said many, many times throughout this letter. He has said, look, it is the spirit of God living in us. That enables us to be what God called us to be. So don't think, because I'll tell you, you will become very disillusioned if you go out there and say, I determined I'm going to live for Christ today because I'm going to tell you, you will fail for five minutes. But that's why we walk by faith, not by sight. That's when we walk by faith and we say, I am accepted by God, not on the basis of what I do, but on the basis of what Christ has done. See how important that is. But Paul says we are to present ourselves and the death to self, you know, and any service that we do for God that is is less than total surrender is totally absurd. God is worthy of our singing. God is worthy of our assembling together. God is worthy of every aspect of our life. You think about that. Next time we open this hymn book and we begin to sing... Now, I know we've been doing a lot of new songs here lately that that most of y'all don't know. But there's a lot of those songs we know. What What if we just sang the old rugged cross? Everybody here knows that song, don't you? Most of you don't even have to open the hymn book. You can just sing the words. But you see, many times that's all we do. We just sing the words. We don't think about on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. Well, why? Why was it there? Lord, you did that for me. Have you ever thought about that when you sing Amazing Grace? That is the most overused song in the history of the world. But many people call it the Christian National Anthem. Now I get it why they say that. It's a wonderful song. But do you really believe that grace is amazing? You see... God is worthy that when we sing to him, that I sing to him. That I don't stand up here and sing and say, hey, I hope they like the way I sound. I hope somebody's impressed with my singing. We stand up here and say, Lord, I don't care whether they like it or not. Do you? And when we gather here together, the Bible says that you and I, he says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. We are to gather together. We are the body of Christ. We are to come together to worship God together. But you see, that's what we are supposed to come and do. We are come to worship God. Not to see and be seen. Not to say, oh, what a great preacher. Oh, what a great singer. Do you see what so-and-so is wearing today? Did you hear what she said when she was singing that song? These are the things that we've got to. Paul says, look, you present yourselves to God. We are called to worship. And that's what to worship God means, that we come in here and our entire focus is on him. You know, we've tried to design this service that way. We begin with singing a song that calls us together. worship we begin with the reading of God's word we have the preaching of God's word when we preach let me ask you something you don't have to answer me I just want to ask you when they stand up here and read the call to worship how many of you read along or do you just sit there and listen to it why don't you read it yourself why don't you read along when when we when we sing why don't you sing you say well I don't sound well I love what I heard a little preacher say one time. He says, God has called us to make a joyful noise. He didn't say it had to be a good one, just a joyful one. Have you ever had an event in your life that just so excited you, you just lost control? And, you know, you, you know I remember when, when my first grandson was born. Now, I've got nine of them. Well, I got eight eight grandsons and one granddaughter. You know, I'm going to use the granddaughter because she's my favorite. (laughs) I'm glad they don't watch this. I remember when she was born, I was excited. (laughs) I was excited. I got in the truck and I had the radio turn. I was singing along. I mean, I was excited. And I, and I think about that. I get so excited over something like that. I come into God's house now. I don't want you jumping up and down the pews and all that stuff. not what I'm talking about, okay? But listen, you need to make a joyful noise. Open that hymn book and sing it and say, God, this is for you. And Paul says when you, when you present your bodies a living sacrifice, that's what you'll do. God, this is for you. Paul is calling for something more, though, than just God being worthy of our singing and God being worthy of our being together. He's calling for a life of worship every single day. Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, Monday morning. Now, I understand for some people, Mondays is the worst day of the week. Okay, I'm off on Mondays, so I don't care. They wake up and say, oh, I don't want to start this new work. Listen, if you're not going to worship God when you get up in the morning, you're not going to worship God when you come in here next Sunday. Every aspect of our life is to be an act of worship to God. We are to live all of life to the glory of God. You know what that word? That's what worship is. Worship is just simply living your life to God's glory. That's it. Do you do that? Do we do that? We fail so many ways and so many times that, but do we strive to do this? Paul here is calling for a life of worship in everyday life. Do you want to worship God? Then live a life to his glory. Come with me to the book of Amos chapter five. Amos in the old Testament It's right, uh, you know, right after Joel. I want to show you what God says when people half-heartedly worship Him. Amos chapter 5, verse 21. This is God speaking. I hate, I reject your feasts, nor do I delight in your solemn Assemblies, even though you offer up to me, burn offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Remove from me the tumult of your songs. I will not even listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. Now that's harsh language right there. You know, if you go over to the seventh chapter of the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah, God tells Jeremiah, he says, stand at the door of my house and say this to my people. And then he goes through this long list. He says, you, you go out and live your life any way you want to live it. And you come in here and think everything's all right. He said, you you oppose widows, you you don't take care of orphans. He says, you just live a life of sinful indulgence, then you come into my house and think, okay, now we're in the house of God, now everything's okay now. You know what God said to Jeremiah? He said, don't pray, I'm not going to hear you. He said, I'm not even going to listen. See how dangerous it is to come in said this many times folks that you and I need to understand that right where you sit right now you are sitting in the most dangerous place you'll ever be in your life because you're going to give an account to God for every sermon you've heard preached for every song that you've sang in his name Amos rebuked those who had religious ceremonies, but they neglected a life of faithful obedience. We need the constant reminder of Romans 12, 1 to be in our minds and in our hearts to avoid this kind of hypocrisy. And Paul is making this point when he says that this is your spiritual service of worship. The total offering of ourselves in service to God is an act of worship. And this is the most sensible response to the mercies of God. You know, it's just so clear the way that Paul puts that. He says, look, because of what God has done, here's the only reasonable thing you can do. Is to give yourself totally to him. If we are worshiping apart from total surrender to God, I want to tell you, it's false worship. And God will not accept it. Alright? Real quickly, verse 2. Paul says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. Part of what it means to offer our bodies to God is explained here in verse 2. There are two commands in verse 2. We are to be not to be conformed, but we are to be transformed. I want to tell you, this world wants to squeeze you into its mold. We, we've talked a lot here lately about some of the commercials that you see on TV showing same sex couples, trans people they don't exist by the way, you know that right, but yet they keep showing it over and over and over and over and over. The more you see it, the more accepting of it you'll be Then folks, the world wants to squeeze us mold. and Paul says do." be conformed we are not of this world we are in it but we are not of it the, the the god has called us out of this world and do we 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 cannot allow the world to squeeze us into this mold you as i as believers we are to think different because we are different any time you show me a believer that that believes that begins to think like the world does and and i am i am appalled When I see and hear professing Christians, professing Christians, say, well, I think sometimes maybe abortion's okay. And you know, God's a loving God, so doesn't he want two people, you know, regardless of their genders, to love each other? You know what that tells me? Two things. They're not saved and they don't know the Bible. But that's, that's what Paul's warning against here. Against us, we, we, we have a different world view of things. And the world's way of thinking is radically out of step with what God says. You know that, right? So we need to be careful with this. Uh, <clears throat> we must not let the world's messages and the, and the customs of this world shape what we think. And I'm going to tell you... I have talked a lot about this lately, and hey, I'm talking to myself here as much as I am any of you. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you know how I stop from being uh, conformed to the image of this world? I quit watching these ungodly movies and ungodly TVs and listening to this ungodly music. Okay, now I'm a music lover. I love George Strait, love Merle Haggard but i found that when i listen to them for a, for a period of time my thinking changes and not in a good way but i found that when i listen to sovereign grace and and music like that my thinking changes you know why because in, in, in the ungodly movies and television and music out there, it is the world subtly squeezing me into its mold and telling me to think like it does. Paul says our minds are to be renewed by the Spirit. It involves filling your mind with Scripture. I love what Paul Washer said. It's a very simple statement, but a very convicting statement. Compare your screen time to your prayer time. How much time do you spend on your knees before God with his word open compared to how much time I sit there with my phone in front of my head, my face, looking at Facebook, looking at whatever. It convicted me because I want to tell you, this one was much more than this one. And I had to change that. And that's what Paul's saying. Be renewed. We need to fill our minds. Saturate your mind with the word of God. Filling it. It involves meditating on the glory of God in Christ. As we read to God's word. As we get on our knees to pray to God. Do we pray. Truly pray. Lord not my will but yours be done. You understand what that means? Here's what that means. God you receive the glory not me. And we'll do it your way. So that you'll receive the glory. Do you know that God has never received the glory when I do it my way? You know who does? My other God. Yeah, me. And that God is dead. And that's what Paul says. So do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you may approve what the will of God is. That which is good and pleasing and perfect. We need to understand the importance of the influence that this world can have on us and how powerful it is to shape our minds. But in the same way, we must understand that the Word of God can do exactly the same thing, but for the good. Renew your mind. Stop thinking like the world. Stop acting like the world, Paul says. Get into the word of God. Walk in the spirit and begin to act like who you are. Children of the living God. And the purpose of this transformed life and this renewed mind, Paul says, is so that you may know what the will of God is, which is good and pleasing and perfect. This means that we will be able to recognize and appreciate what honors God. You know, people come in and say, well, you know, I'm not sure I know how to worship. Well, I'll tell you, the, you have a textbook that tells you it's right here. This book tells you how to worship God. And if somebody says, well, I don't know how to worship, then that just says they haven't read the book. You know, I'm the world worst. I can go buy something that you have to put together. Oh, it aggravates my wife because the first thing I do is take the instructions and throw them in the trash. Yeah, about an hour later, she's in there digging them out. And I say, I can't put this thing together. And She says, did you? I, I love her. <laughs> did you read the instructions? She usually says that from across the room, by the way. But you see what I'm getting at here? And we look at this and say, I want to worship God, but I don't know how. And Paul says, did you read the book? Did you read the book? I read the other day that I, a, a quote that I think applies to not just unbelievers, but to many Christians. He said, in many people's homes, you can take and in the dust of their Bibles, write damnation. Folks, if you and I are going to present ourselves as living sacrifices to God, if we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and not be conformed to this world, I want to tell you, there's there's, there's three things you must do. You must get into God's Word. You must get on your knees and you must gather with God's people. Those three things are essential for us to do what we have been called to do. And we must recognize and appreciate what honors God. And then set ourselves to the task of being obedient. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning, O God, for your word. Lord, thank you for everything that you've done for us. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Father, you called us out of this world. You saved us by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. And Father, may we live a life that brings glory to you alone. You've said you will not share your glory with anyone. So, Father, help us to show our gratitude for what you have done by living a life that is pleasing to you, a life of obedience. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.